eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome into the Fog.net podcast. Scott Chasen here to talk a little KU basketball. We are joined by a guest, a friend of mine from high school, college, beyond uh, Blake McFarland. Blake, you may recognize the name. He's covered KU football, KU basketball. He uh, worked for KU, KLWN, Rock Chalk Sports Talk at Lawrence. He's still in sports media. Uh, Blake, how's it going? Good to, good to get you on the podcast. I know we've wanted to do this for, for quite a while now. Yeah, Scott. I mean, we're throwing it back here, man. You and I used to be boys back in the day. We were dreaming big. It was going to be like Stuart Scott. I was going to be Kenny uh, Maine, and we were going to knock it out. But we went a little bit different on our paths, but extremely excited to have the opportunity to talk some Jayhawk basketball with you. And it's crazy. We're getting close to seeing sports again. So that just means that the boards need to get fired up. We need to start talking more about these recruits, football, basketball, and seeing your insight on everything. Well, let's get into uh, KU basketball talk. Obviously, a lot going on. Uh, you, you know, you mentioned kind of the pandemic. Uh, obviously, uh, a big time in the country. Just the the social climate too, and and you can read all about that. We've kind of covered uh, a lot of that and what's going on uh, relative to KU at Fog.net. But uh, we wanted to give you guys a little bit of a, a look ahead to the season too, because you know, obviously, there are going to be, uh, or hopefully, I would say there there will be some sports soon to uh, to kind of talk about. And so. Uh, on Tuesday, Bill Self uh, had a special edition of Hawk Talk. He ran down uh, some of the players on the KU basketball roster, what to look forward to, uh, what he's expecting from them. Uh, and I, I thought that was a good jumping off point from this podcast, given uh, how good Kansas was last year. And yet you have so many young guys who uh, maybe would have played a lot more on other teams, on, on teams that had less depth. Uh, that really didn't get a chance to kind of show what they can do. So uh, we're going to talk about the, I, I guess, technically two sophomores, two redshirt freshmen, and then two incoming freshmen who could really all uh, kind of contribute to this team. And uh, Blake, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Do you have a player that you would like us to start on, uh, anyone from the freshman or sophomore classes? You know, Scott, when I think about this team, uh, I think the first guy you have to talk about that played that maybe we didn't see the potential, but I think we all saw it there initially. We being, you know, people who are watching the team would have to be Tristan Inaruna. Um, he clearly in the first few games showed that he had a skill set that a lot of coaches in the country would want and a lot of coaches in the country would desire. I would say for me, when I watched him in the first handful of games, he looked like the guy on the team that had the most pro potential. Like he, he looked like he could play in the pros the longest of anyone. And he really got buried in the depth. He played his minutes. Uh, his shot escaped him. 
his length on defense um, wasn't maybe what Bill Self thought right away. I think everything was fast for him. Um, the, the gameplay, the coaching, everything was really fast. And so I'm really excited to see if he can improve and, and calm down a little bit. If he can figure out that shot and he can still be a great defender, I think he's a guy that is going to make an impact on this team right away in 2021 in 2021 and beyond too. I think he's a guy that you look at him and he's not going anywhere. He can have a great year next year and he's not going to the pros. And I think that's kind of the best thing about this team is that there's really not a guy that you look at that's like, wow, he's not going to be here next year or more than likely he may not be here next year. So I think first guy I want to break down is Tristan Anaruna. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you, I think you hit on it with the the pro potential. I, I think that maybe would surprise some people to hear, but you know, Bill Self has made similar comments just about you know you, you think about his game, you think about too what the NBA is and length, athleticism, how smooth he looks. Uh, you know, if he can, I think we saw him hit a three when a defender went under a ball screen in, in maybe one of the first couple games. That might have been that Duke game, and he played twenty minutes, I think four or so times in non conference play. But you know, Isaiah Moss gets healthier from the hamstring injury. Uh, Christian Brown starts to emerge and all of a sudden, you know, those minutes kind of fade away, but no, I don't doubt that. And and when you talk to, you know, just having the chance to talk to scouts who would go to games, you know, he was definitely a guy that, that people were looking at in terms of pro potential. Uh, even when he committed to Kansas, I remember talking to our recruiting experts uh, and really hearing this kind of consistent message of uh, this may not be a guy who's ready year one, but you look at him year two, year three, you know, maybe by the end of it, and he, he has the chance to be a really special player down the line. Uh, so I actually think Tristan and Aruna, uh, for that reason, and, and just like you talked about, is a, a really interesting player. He's very similar to me, uh, different in, in terms of playing style and how they play, but similar situations with a Jalen Wilson. Uh, you didn't get to see much of either of those guys for different reasons, obviously. Uh, Jalen broke his ankle, I think, in the second game, like a minute into the second game of the season. But he didn't play that much in game one. He was, I believe, the third freshman off the bench in that first game. So I I think for both of those guys, uh, there's a lot that KU fans will get to learn and see and and really come to know and appreciate about both of them. Yeah, I would say Jalen Wilson's another guy that you look at and you just wonder what could have been. I think the expectations from fans on Jalen Wilson, in my opinion, were way too high. I know he was a really big summer get for Kansas, and he was a guy Bill Self really wanted to get, mainly because he could have been a package deal. But for Jalen Wilson, we'll see. Hopefully he can recover from the ankle. But I think he and Tristan have something, in my opinion, that is both a benefit and a curse to them. Tristan, in my opinion, has the skill set of a game and the body type of like Kelly Oubre. He's a shooter. He's got a little bit of length. He's not going to wow you with his athleticism, but he's going to be a really important player. And I think Jalen Wilson is similar. I don't know because I haven't seen him play in the college level. No one has except for Bill Self. But both of those guys in particular, Tristan, has a little bit of like what I would call Andrew Wiggins syndrome, where he looks too smooth. There's not enough aggression in his play. There's not enough explosiveness that you want to see, you know it's there, you just want to see it, which I think is a result of the game being too fast for these guys. Well, Self mentioned that casual nature uh, of Anaruna quite a bit. I, I would say I think Anaruna is the better athlete to Wilson uh, than Wilson. I think Wilson has a kind of a better base, a better lower body. I think strength is a big part of his game. And, you know, to, to the point of, you know, he was, uh, I want to say, just outside the top 50 when he committed to KU. And, and certainly guys have come in with lower rankings. I mean, Christian Brown being one of them and contributed. But I think when you talk about expectations, you make a really good point because 
uh, for a guy like Christian Brown, who, by the way, only averaged six points per game in conference play. So his impact was certainly felt in the number of games, but it's not like he had, you know, even the type of year Ochai Abaji had last year in his freshman year, but expectations can can make you feel differently about each of those players. I think uh, if you asked a lot of fans, not all, not most maybe, but there would be a good portion of fans last year who you would say, you know, who is more important, Ochai Abaji or Christian Brown? And they would say, well, Christian Brown is, you know, one of the team's best shooters, whatever, uh, just because people really expected a lot from Ochai Abaji. And maybe that's a little bit of a straw man. I don't know. But uh, you look at it on the flip side. I mean, Bill Self said yesterday, uh, called him an elite defender, Ochai Abaji. Uh, you're obviously counting on him for scoring. You're counting on him for, you know, 30 plus minutes a game. So it, it's just different. Uh, and I think expectations and you hitting on that, um, I think that's a, a a really important thing to remember because it's so easy to uh, change your opinion on a player based off what the expectations coming in were. And to that point, Christian Brown, uh, if someone just looked at his numbers, they would say, well, he didn't, you know, he had a, a mediocre year. He didn't really do anything that well. He, you know, hit some threes, had a couple good scoring games. But Blake, I think we'd both agree that Christian Brown actually had a really nice year, and, and there were a few games, uh, including obviously the K-State game that no one remembers because of what happened afterward. But uh, he had a few performances that were really big time. At Oklahoma State was another one uh, that, you know, he showed what he can be. Yeah, he's a talented player. He can shoot the ball, and I think he's only going to get better at that. I think when you talk to people that watched him at Blue Valley Northwest, they would say he really wasn't a shooter in high school. He was more of a guy that would drive it and put the ball on the floor and go to the rim. So. If he can add that element to his game, that'd be great. Um, I think when you look at Christian, he could potentially, in my opinion, have a similar season to what Ochai had this past year, where the expectations of Christian are inflated and people don't really appreciate what he does. Because Christian isn't going to be a guy, I say this now and then it'll go the opposite, but he's not going to put up 20 for Kansas very often. He'll do it sometimes, but he won't do it for his whole season. And so when you look at him, it's so easy to look at those stat sheets and say, well, this guy didn't score. This guy didn't shoot well. But really his impact is how he defends and he's a glue guy and he brings energy. And as I'm saying to him being a glue guy, he can't be a star at Kansas because I think that his trajectory right now is to be a star. I think that's what happened with Ocha is that he's played so well in his Todd Reesing style redshirt year where the redshirt gets pulled in the middle of the year. and He makes an instant impact on the team that people just thought, oh, well, Kansas has this hidden gem. He's going to be a stud. He could win Big 12 Player of the Year. He could be our best player, and hopefully he's going to the pros. And it just wasn't the case with Ochai. Hopefully that doesn't get into his head. Hopefully Ochai gets back to himself, starts to realize that what what Ochai does well and and play to his strengths, that he doesn't try to be a pro in college. I think that sometimes that happens with players is that they're so curious about what's going to take them to the next level and work on that in college that – they aren't able to improve on what makes them really good. Um, so it'll be interesting. And, and Scott, for me, when you look at all four of those guys, here's the best thing about all four of those guys is that for the first time in, I don't know, Kansas has building blocks on their basketball team. Can you think of that? It's really, they have this core of guys that are probably going to be here for at least another year that could be a national championship caliber team, not this year, but in 2022, and you win titles based on your upperclassmen and talented freshmen, Kansas has that now. And, and I would love to see these guys to continue to improve so that you and I can talk about winning a national title again, um, which is something we haven't seen Kansas do in a while. Yeah. I mean, to that point, uh, I'm just trying to think back through previous rosters and, you know, obviously 
you could say, well, hey, the Frank Mason class had some building blocks, but no one knew, you know, Frank Mason was going to be that good as a freshman. And, and in fact, if you think about that roster, you had two one and duns in that recruiting class in, in Wiggins and, uh, and Joel Embiid. You had Wayne Selden, who, I mean, for three straight years, the question was, is this guy going to stay or, or is he going to go? It was less of, you know, obviously Bryce Thompson, we'll get to him in a second. He's a five-star kid and, and right on the cusp of a, a top 20 ranking. I actually think Tyon Grant Foster is uh, the most likely early departure uh, just coming from this next season. I, I've heard some some big things about him. But again, we've seen uh, transfers and Juco guys come to Kansas and then, you know, all of a sudden, hey, maybe it's, it's not exactly what you think. So I, I would agree. I, I think you have a, a roster of players who are, um, especially when you go do, uh, lower down in the recruiting class, guys we may not even touch on, uh, who will potentially redshirt, who will potentially stick around. You know, there is a fourth second-year player, kind of, in uh, Dewan Harris, who uh, redshirted last year. He'll be a freshman. I'm not, you know, obviously it's going to take time for him to work himself into the level where people are even mentioning, you know, things like the NBA and early departure. And yet behind the scenes, we're hearing about uh, just in media in terms of that, this is a guy who can play point, uh, who sets up everyone expertly. He's a pure passing point guard. Uh, he's tough. He uh, is a winner. Uh, you know, you, you hear all these labels, and, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, don't be surprised if this guy is playing too. I, I think there's a chance. It's funny. The pendulum, to me, just in my opinion, has completely swung um, You know, from a couple years ago, a few years ago, to the other direction. And, and you think back to... Uh, that final four team KU had in 2017-18 and just how thin it was and how you only had a few guys, but those guys, you know, Devontae Graham, Malik Newman, Svee, LeGerald Vick, Yudoka Azubuki, those guys were going to have to play well because that's all you had. You had freshman Marcus Garrett and Silvio, like to add to that mix, and, and occasional Mitch Lightfoot minutes, and he didn't even play as the season went on. Then you, you think about the Diedrich Lawson team. That team had like 12 dudes who could play, but how many of those guys actually played, you know, very well on a given night? So that team had depth, but maybe it lacked the kind of quality depth. I, th- I think this next roster is more on the depth side than the thin side. I-, I think the question will become, can guys emerge, especially some of these young guys, and really show that, you know, a guy like a Christian Brown, like a Tristan Enaruna, like a Jalen Wilson, and say, nope, this, this year is going to be about me a little bit more because I'm developed in these certain areas. Yeah, and we talk all about these guards that Kansas has, and I think that every single person on Fog.net should be doing backflips that Bill Self is fully committed to the four-out one-in. I think that's the best way to win the tournament, and if you can shoot the three-ball, then you're going to find your way into a lot of games, even if you maybe aren't doing things well, like rebounding and and boxing out and and getting turnovers. We talked now for 15 minutes, Scott, and we haven't mentioned David McCormick, who is only a junior, but really, from a play standpoint, um, he feels younger than that. And he's going to have such an important role on this team, and especially when you look at that four-out one-in. He's going to be playing the one-in a lot and how he plays and how he develops and how the game slows down and he doesn't have such happy feet and he doesn't look so rushed. He could make a huge jump. And he's a guy, that, in my opinion, who's young. He played a lot as a freshman, played more as a sophomore, but the improvement game to game maybe wasn't there as what you'd hope for a guy that was McDonald's all American. So let's see if he can get things going and, and kind of work on himself, because in my opinion, he's a key part of all of these other players success. Yeah. Well, the Kansas front court will be fascinating. I, I think we should devote our next podcast to the Kansas front court. I, I think. Are you inviting him, me back between, already? 
I guess I am between him, Mitch Silvio. And yeah, I think there's a lot to talk about there. Um, but, but let's, let's keep it to the younger guys on this one. We'll let's do the front court, uh, either next week or the week after that, because I think that's a, a topic that deserves some time. Uh, the name to me that I am most intrigued to see is not actually Bryce Thompson. I know he's a five-star freshman. Uh, I'm very, I have actually seen him in person just on the recruiting trail. Uh, I think he's a very talented player, talented shooter. And you just talked about three point shooting, but I am fascinated to see Tyon Grant Foster. Uh, I did a full scouting profile on him uh, over at fog.net. It's, you can find it on our VIP border, or if you literally just Google like Tyon Grant Foster scouting Sunday, uh, it'll come up. And a couple things that stand out, his JUCO stats were basically identical to Andrew Wiggins' freshman year stats. Now, obviously, different levels of competition, uh, but if you want to kind of build out an archetype, he even has that Andrew Wiggins second jump. That's not only something that the KU coaching staff has seen uh, on film. I think I included a few different examples. Uh, he's got some question marks, too. You know, how does he shoot the ball? How does his athleticism translate when he when you go up a level in competition? How do his scoring instincts translate? But uh, he is a guy I have watched who I, I have a hard time thinking that he won't be starting for this team next year uh, and playing a lot of minutes for this team. I, I think expectations should actually be very high for him, uh, despite all the talent on this Kate roster. Yeah, I think longtime KU fans would say that the success of JUCO players for the University of Kansas has been relatively low. I remember mm-hmm. back in the day when you and I were young and full of energy in our lives that we thought Mario Little was going to be a stud and maybe Tyrone Appleton was going to be a stud for Kansas. And they both, you know, Tyrone didn't really make it at Kansas. And, and Mario Little had a very successful career for any college athlete. He played, you know, two or three years, three years at Kansas and had his impact. Um but I think that Juco to D1 jump is huge, but I think that he has a skill set to it. I think the question we have to ask ourselves when we look at uh, Grant Foster is, is he going to be Jimmy Butler style player? A guy that played Juco, went to Marquette, and was a really talented college player and then became an even more talented NBA player? Or is he going to be another Juco guy that dominated a level that maybe isn't as fundamentally sound as college basketball or AAU and is the leap from Juco to major D1 basketball going to be something that takes him a lot of time? And if it takes him a lot of time, is he frustrated? Because when players get frustrated about the level of play, a lot of things go wrong for them. So if he can have success early and he can just dominate it by being more physically gifted and he's as talented a player as you think, he's going to be a huge success. If he has some problems there, then he's going to be a guy that's going to struggle and he's going to have to find ways to get out of his own way to be impactful on Kansas. Yeah, you know why that's actually a a great example, Jimmy Butler, is because Jimmy Butler's first year at Marquette, uh, I mean, he didn't play. He basically, I mean, he averaged something, he averaged less than 20 minutes a game, uh, but he was something in the range of like, I looked this up for another story, funny enough, the other day. He was something in the range of like five points and three rebounds. He might have had a little bit more than that. Uh, But, I mean, he was, I mean, I'm not going to say a non-factor, but he certainly wasn't Jimmy Butler. Uh, and, and then obviously as time went on, he, you know, became a double digit scorer, became a guy who was a factor on the glass. Even, uh, he didn't shoot a, a ton of threes, but he made them when he did. Like he became just a, a completely different and better player. And then even, you know, obviously in the NBA, he kind of did the same thing. It took him a while to get going. Uh, and then when he caught on, he became very good. So I, I actually like that example. Um, and it would be a good reason why maybe you don't have to jump ship if year one, it's not working out, but also, 
you know, you brought you brought up some good examples. And the question we asked in the in the scouting piece we did on him was, uh, is he going to be more Mario Little or Andrew Wiggins? And Mario Little is not necessarily an insult to say that it's you know Mario Little played on some stacked teams, and and that certainly affected you know what he was able to do. But you know, at the same time, you want to see a guy like that especially a top JUCO player, you know, top two JUCO player in a class, really elevate his game. And, and especially if, like the coaches say, you know, they believe he has NBA potential. So uh, the last guy there to get to, Bryce Thompson, I, obviously you don't need me to, to repeat the story. He's, you know, Bill Self and uh, Coach's dad, good relationship there. They've been recruiting him forever. Bryce, I will say this. When I watched Bryce in, in 2018, uh, you know, he was – a completely not a completely different player than he is right now, but he was certainly a lot less, uh, maybe not less talented, but he had put it all together, uh, hadn't put it all together yet. And, you know, it was funny because at the time I wasn't totally convinced he'd be a guy Kansas would take. Uh, and I think that opinion, uh, you know, it, he had to grow. He had to, to move along as a player, but he went up like 40 or 50 spots in the rankings. And it was basically because over the spring and the summer, and I talked to uh, Jerry Meyer, 24-7 Sports Scouting Director, about this. I, I mean, he just showed complete development in running point, uh, looking comfortable with the ball in his hands, his three-point shot. I, he was on fire on the Under Armour circuit. Uh, and again, he didn't completely change who he was as a player, but he showed a ton of development. Uh, I, I think there are, are big things in store for Bryce Thompson. I'm not sure how much they'll show year one, but I think he's a two-year guy uh, at the college level. And I think year two is going to be a lot of fun with Bryce Thompson. Yeah, and I'm going to say this is just a gut feeling. I don't have the uh, the scouting eye like you do, Scott. But he seems to me to be a guy that's a little bit of a late bloomer. Uh, I believe Bill Self said on Tuesday that he's up to 6'6", so clearly he's still growing. And if a guy is still growing, then that means his body's still developing. And sometimes when a guy's body's still developing, so is his game. Um, so when you look at Bryce Thompson, is this guy going to develop throughout the year? Is he game one going to be a totally different player than he is game 40 for Kansas? We'll have to see, but having a guy that has more of a balanced skill set like him, he can get inside, he can shoot threes, he can handle the ball, he can play off the ball is going to be beneficial for Kansas. You, you have to wonder where he fits in the starting five. If he is in the starting five for Kansas, particularly with Marcus Garrett, and we can get in kind of to a more deeper look at a later date, but if he hits a shot and he can play good defense, then he's going to be on the court because he's a talented enough player. And he seems to me to be a guy that's going to develop as he goes. But if he struggles a little bit, he's another guy that has high expectations. And I think he's going to have to manage that for himself and understand that this team is really deep. And Bill Self almost never, I think I can take the word almost out and say he never, ever, ever, ever plays more than nine guys in a season regularly. And we're running out of spots in the top nine very quickly. And you don't want to see the development of a guy like Jalen Wilson or Tristan um, or even Christian Brown, if he doesn't kind of make that jump from year one to year two, be thwarted because we're trying to force it with a guy like Bryce Thompson out there. And, and, and I hope that's what the, co the coaching staff kind of realizes, understands that they can't do that. And they've got to let these players develop. Would that make sense for the whole squad? Yeah, I do think he'll – I think if you built a starting five, we'll definitely have something on this because I know that's always going into a year thing. I do think Bryce would be in it right now with Marcus Garrett, and I think Tyon Grant-Foster would be in it too. And then I think it gets super interesting because I don't know how you take Ochai Abaji out of the starting lineup after he starts every game for your team, and now all of a sudden you're down to one spot that's left. And 
I, I think that this team will be versatile. I think there are so many different ways you can play them. But to your point, Blake, uh, especially late in the year, you know, all of a sudden that roster starts getting more thin and more thin and more thin. I mean, we've seen the KU rotation get whittled down to six and sometimes seven uh, in the NCAA tournament in the postseason, and that's been some of Kansas' most successful teams. Not all of them. They've definitely had teams that had more guys who, you know, occasionally got some run. But it, it seems to me, at least, that, that the best teams at the end of the year, they know who their top guys are, and there aren't a bunch of them. There are when I say that, I mean there aren't 10 guys that they're just trying to move in and out. The Kentucky, you know, platoon team, that is not commonplace in college basketball. It's it's much more, you know, you have three or four stars or, or high-level players. You've got three or four key role players, and, you know, you're going to trust all those guys and, and only rely on others when you have to. Now let me make one point here that could go against what we just talked about, is when you look at this, when you look at this college basketball season, there is a chance, we don't know, and this is purely speculation, that there might be postponement of games. They might get moved and that schedule might get weird. So if there is ever a year where Bill Self has to play a deeper roster, it could be this year because you're looking at maybe three games in a week, maybe four games in a week. If they're trying to squeeze in as many games as possible and generate revenue for the schools, they're going to try to not cancel those games and just move them. So having 12 guys that can play or 11 guys or whatever Kansas will have could be a benefit because there's going to be tired legs. If the first game of the season is January 1 and they're still trying to squeeze in 40 games and keep the tournament ending the first weekend of April, you're going to need bodies. You're going to need as many bodies as possible. So there could be the opportunity for the roster to be a little bit deeper on a sheer volume of games, but we won't know. And, and hopefully they're playing normally and, and we can talk about basketball in December and November, but it's something to consider that the the depth of Kansas's roster might be something that a lot of teams strive for when they're running out their seventh player and he's playing 40 minutes in five games in 12 days. Well, that that's interesting. I actually hadn't considered that. Um, I do think Kansas will have two guys redshirting on this team, but even then you'll still have 10 plus players available uh, all who are all, like we've talked about, kind of at, at least seem like they can be capable contributors and, and work their way into that role. And then you know, obviously, too, the other side is that if there's a positive, you know, COVID-19 test and you have to take a player away, I yep. think, again, this this would be a team you say, hey, you know, Tristan can't go today. Well, you got Jalen, you got Tyon, you got Ocha, you know, you, you look down the roster and all of a sudden there are a bunch of other guys. So I think that's a good stopping point for, let's call it the Blake podcast number one. But uh, Blake, you want to uh, plug your Twitter before we get out of here? Yeah, it's certainly if you disagree or agree, hopefully mainly agree, but if you disagree, my Twitter is at uh, TheBlakeMC, and, and Scott will definitely defend me on all points no matter what because that's what he and I have established throughout our years of friendship. Not 100% sure about that. Uh, you can also tweet me at Chase and Scott. Uh, head to Fog.net. I think if you listen to this in time right now, uh, you can get a, a, an annual Fog.net VIP subscription, 50% off. So I recommend it. And then come hang out in the VIP board and tell uh, Blake and myself why we're wrong or hopefully why we're right. But uh, thanks again for listening to the Fog.net podcast, and we will catch you next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with h track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. 
Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.